You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Next Sunday evening, we will be delighted to have uh, Sinclair back uh, preaching with us in the evening. Uh, But this Sunday morning, we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 53, uh, verses 1 to 3. This is the last Sunday morning for those who weren't here. We looked at the three verses before that, and this is what's called in the book of Isaiah, uh, the fourth servant song, a song about Jesus, uh, a most wonderful song about Jesus. It's split into five stanzas, and this is the second stanza, Isaiah 53 on page 740. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. I had the privilege a couple of weeks ago in sitting in a recording studio with a man called Mike. Mike was a, is a retired policeman from uh, Portsmouth. And I think it's Portsmouth anyway. And he came in. He was very scared because he'd heard I was a bit of a Rottweiler. Uh, he's not a Christian, and he was there to discuss Christianity. And the, the show has just gone out on uh, the radio, and it's on the internet. And I found it an incredibly moving experience. Uh, told Mike he didn't have to be scared. Because Mike, and he said this himself, he said, I think I'm typical of millions of people. And he said, I'm not atheist, I'm not anti-God, anti-theist, but I can't believe. And the show's entitled, Why Mike Can't Believe. And we had a a long conversation, I think a very uh, profitable conversation. But Mike was right. It's not just Mike who can't believe, it's many people who can't believe. And there are some of us here as Christians who uh, sometimes we have doubts and fears. And some who are not yet believers, some of you are not yet believers, and you're saying, you know, this all sounds so good, but I just can't believe. Well, we're going to look at that and look at in terms of who Jesus Christ is and what happened to him, because Belief is not just having faith in God, it is trusting completely in Jesus Christ. So I hope that God will speak to you as we look at this. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who is going to believe this? There is a remarkable contrast between man's opinion and between what is revealed. In other words, I can give you an opinion about God. There are plenty of people who will say, well, that's your opinion about God, and then that's this group's opinion about God, and that's someone else's opinion. Why should I believe your opinion? It's a bit like with the European Union referendum. You know, you get one lot say, we leave the EU, there's going to be World War III, and London's going to be destroyed by flaming dragons, and then you get the other law that say, we don't leave the EU and we're going to be taken over by Nazis. And you, know, and you just you, you get all this different information. You say, well, yeah, 
I mean, one man I heard say this, I'm just going to flick a coin and see what happens. Well, some people do that in terms of God because you get different opinions and different points of view. So how can we possibly know? Well, just as in the EU referendum, people say, well, give us information. Well, in terms of God, we need to have information from God. And that's what we call, or what the Bible calls, revelation. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And what is being simply stated here is, we're not going to believe unless God reveals himself. Now, there are two ways that that happens. First of all, God reveals himself. Well, actually, I'm going to say three ways. He reveals himself in his son, Jesus Christ, and he reveals who Jesus is through his word, the Bible. But we can sit here and listen to the Bible, and you will sit here and listen to the Bible, and unless God's Spirit is at work here, then you won't believe. So, one of the things that we pray simply is that God would open the eyes of your heart to see and to understand. In other words, human observation alone is not enough. You could sit down with the Bible and you could go through it with a fine-tooth comb and you would not have the ability to work out or to know or to understand. You need God to speak to you and that's what His Word is about. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, it says this, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in Him. And by the way, that's very important because There are people who'd say, if I saw a miracle, I'd believe. The answer is no, you wouldn't. Actually, you think you would, but you wouldn't. Because there's a tendency within all of us to find an excuse and to turn away. I think that um, what happened here, Jesus did all these miraculous signs. They still would not believe. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so that they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I will heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. So there's a real problem that you have. If you're a Christian, it's a real problem you have in communicating the gospel to your non-Christian friends. I was at a conference in uh, northern England yesterday, uh, in a wonderful place called Nutsford, and there's uh, those 400 northern men, one woman, by the way, and she wasn't making the tea, she was leading the praise, but um, I did feel sorry for her. And they were like northern men, you know, like Burnley and Bury and Liverpool accents. It was just, I, I loved it. I just thought they were great guys. And, but they had so many questions. And one guy said, how can you bring the gospel of Jesus to someone who is not prepared to go deep emotionally. And my answer was very straightforward. Everyone's dead spiritually. I mean, yes, there are people, he was talking about, you know, people, men, northern men with reserve. I said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Come to Scotland. We'll show you what reserve is. And then we'll send you to Finland and you'll really find it. <laughs> but Sorry if you're Finnish. But um, the, how, how do you do that? I said, you can't. Because we're spiritually dead. We need God's Spirit to work in us. But that is, as we see, that's what happens as God's Word is communicated to us. Now, this belief is belief in what is said, 
It is the report, it's the news, it's the facts. Genesis 45, 26. Joseph's uh, brothers go back to Jacob and say, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. This is unbelievable news. Deuteronomy 9. When the Lord sent you out from Kadesh Barnea, he said, go up and take possession of the land I have given you. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You did not trust him or obey him. In other words, God said something, the people didn't believe it, and so they acted against it. And what's happening in Isaiah 53 is that a message is coming to the people, and people are saying, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe the witnesses. What we've got in this book, the Bible, are the witnesses of Jesus, the people who saw, who were with Jesus, who witnessed his death and resurrection, who were with him after he was raised from the dead. And really, in this message, Isaiah's kind of prophesying. They're saying, Who's, who believes us? Who believes our report? Who believes our message? Who believes in the arm of the Lord, God with all his power? It's an image, by the way, that's used throughout Isaiah 51 verse 9. Awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength, O arm of the Lord. Or in 52 and verse 6, where he says this, Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore in that day they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. God did it. God acted. God worked. The Lord returns. The Lord... Uh, lays bare, as he says in verse 10, his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. So someone says, I am believing God when I see God working a mighty miracle, when I see God caring for people. What does God do about suffering? What does God do? And God says, I'll show you. And he shows us through Christ, and we hear about Christ, and then we don't believe. We just say, no, I don't believe it. And it's, again, an extraordinary picture because it goes on to talk, we'll come back to that, but it goes on to talk about how Christ was revealed in our midst. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. He grew up, Jesus grew up. Well, at some point, remember the kids at the front here? At some point, Jesus was at the front of the temple. Mind you, it's slightly different. He was asking the questions. Some of your kids think they're like that as well, but um, it, is, it is a wee bit different. But he was. He was there. He was in the temple. He was a child. He learned. It was extraordinary. And he was ordinary in one sense. There was nothing, they say, in his appearance that we should desire him. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. So we sing the song Majesty about Christ, but you wouldn't have sung that and you couldn't sing that about him if you had just met him or just saw him because there was nothing in him that would have been immediately attractive to you. Majesty in this sense is the outward impressiveness of an important person. Psalm 96, splendor and majesty are before him. Jesus was not as far as we know, well-built, impressive, handsome. It's not easy to believe 
that he was the Lord. When you see films about Jesus, you will see kind of ordinary disciples, and then you'll see Mel Gibson. And you know, well, that's Jesus. Or you'll see somebody who just stands out, and you say, that's Jesus. But to the people who saw Jesus, they didn't see a king. They saw an uneducated Galilean peasant of dubious parentage. It is little wonder that they did not believe. But it goes beyond that because he was rejected. John 7, 41, others said he is the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where Jesus lived? The people couldn't accept when Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, when Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. It just didn't seem right. He was ordinary. It just wasn't impressive. Um, I remember speaking somewhere, and somebody came up to, after, up to me afterwards and said, just a very simple thing. They said, but you were, you were ordinary. I said, what did you expect? A superstar, you know. I said, but you were ordinary. Well, that's with Jesus. If you'd met Jesus, you'd been with Jesus, he was ordinary. And that's hard to grasp, hard to understand at, at that level. He was the root out of dry ground. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit, Isaiah had earlier said in chapter 11 and verse 1. The dry ground refers to his lowly conditions and to his background. The root in a dry ground struggles to preserve life. I think it's not just the outward appearance, but the entirety of his life. He was a tender plant in a hostile environment. He, were, he grew up as the Son of God in a hostile world. And because of that, well, it says there was no beauty in him as well. That's a, a word that is used in Genesis 29, verse 17, of Rachel being uh, lovely in form and beautiful. Someone says, if only I saw Jesus, I would believe. The answer is, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't because he just is ordinary, at least in his humanity here on earth. But it gets worse than that. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Matthew 27 as he's on the cross, above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. If I would see Jesus, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. You'd spit on him. If I would see Jesus, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. The ordinary people walk past the cross. He's up there because he deserves to be. The rulers 
the priests, the religious leaders. Surely they're going to worship the Son of God. No, they despised Him. They despised Him. Even the murderers and thieves who were crucified with Him, they despised Him. As we know, of course, later on, one of them did come to believe. But initially, he joined in the mockery and the abuse. I suspect there isn't a single person here. In fact, I would, I would be absolutely guaranteed that there isn't a single one of us who does not hate being despised, being the person who other people laugh at, the person who other people mock, the person who other people condemn and contemn. It's beyond indifference. It's a rejection. Being rejected? You go, we're talking about job interviews. You go for a job interview. One of the hardest things is you go for job interview after job interview after job interview, and you are rejected. Worse still, you've been building up to it for a long, long time. You've got the box with the wee ring in it. You're even daft enough to do it in public. You get down on your knee. Will you marry me? No. Oh, that's so humiliating. So humiliating. To be rejected by your own family, to be told you are no longer welcome in this house, that is dreadful. To be rejected by your own people, to be shunned and mocked and abused. It really is something that is extraordinary to think of God sending His Son to come and to be rejected. He was in the world, but the world did not accept Him. The world did not know Him. The world rejected Him. And more, a man of sorrows familiar with suffering. Did Jesus ever get sick? Was Jesus ever ill? Of course. He was human. He was not immune from viruses. It's wrong. The, the carol, it's such a lovely carol as well. It's a shame it's spoiled by the no crying he makes and Jesus doesn't get sick. It's just extraordinary that the, the notion that people have of Jesus not feeling pain, having some kind of divine anesthetic even on the cross, which is not true. The sorrow and suffering and pain. We, um, or I better not say we, I, uh, get in trouble uh, sometimes because uh, of a pain. I've never experienced what Paremi's going through just now, childbirth. And uh, uh, I have learned my lesson not to say anything about it in any way whatsoever, so don't worry. Just accept this. I haven't experienced it. It's a great pain. And some of us in our lives will experience pains and sorrows and suffering 
that we look around us and the people around us, we cannot conceive that they have experienced or gone through the same thing. Well, Christ being familiar with suffering, I think it means not only that he himself experienced pain, but he also experienced our pain. Matthew eight sixteen says this, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. In other words, as I was trying to say to the children, we have our own pains and sorrows. We can also experience other people's to a certain degree, but because we are of limited capacity and limited knowledge, and basically our hearts can't cope with it, we can only empathize to a certain degree. But because Christ is the Son of God, He carries all our sorrows. The entire life of the servant was filled with griefs. Yes, there were joys, of course. He experienced his own sorrows, but he has also experienced ours. Rabbi Duncan, who I've quoted this often, 19th century uh, free church, Old Testament professor, said this, there is no pit so deep that Christ has not gone deeper still. Why Mike can't believe, Mike will give lots and lots of different reasons about how the world was created and why is there suffering in the world and everything else. And the answer to all of those is comes in the person of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did. But for some, that becomes an even bigger stumbling block because they can't believe First of all, they can't believe in a God who allows suffering, but secondly, they find it even more difficult to believe in a God who redeems suffering through the suffering of His own Son. Well, we'll see what that means in a moment, but I do want to sing um, Psalm 22, uh, or at least part of that psalm, uh, and we're going to sing it a cappella. The words will come up on the screen. Uh, This is what was said by Christ on the cross. And we'll sing it to the tune, Soul Thou, my God, my God, oh, why have you forsaken and abandoned me, as we reflect on the suffering of Christ. Let's stand and sing. Despised and rejected by people around who didn't understand. Despised and rejected by your disciples who turned away from the cross. To have people mock you and say, you trust in God. Let's see what God can do. And you get to a a stage where you cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I do not think there is a moment in time which is more profound than when the Son asks the Father, why have you forsaken me? Because throughout all His ministry, He was conscious of the Father's presence. When He's baptized, the Spirit descends on Him. When He's in the Garden of Gethsemane in absolute agony at the prospect of the cross, the Lord sends angels to uphold Him. 
And at that moment on the cross, it's not that God didn't love him, it's that he was not conscious of that love and support. And so, it seems as though he is despised and rejected by his Father. And that is an extraordinary thing. And if, if anything shows you the depth of human sinfulness and the radical steps that God had to take to deal with the sin in my heart and your heart, that does. So, we just come to this, and with this, I want to finish. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Value. What value do we place on something? I um, was at the Tate Gallery in London, and at one point, the Tate Gallery paid millions of pounds for somebody who placed a series of bricks. Now, it wasn't just that a bricklayer could have done it. I could have done it. It was just a pile of bricks, not in any shape or anything. They were just a pile of bricks. And people are wandering around going, oh, that's just incredible. Oh, it's just wonderful. And the only thing that's wonderful is the people who are thinking it's wonderful. That's all that I, I would look at. It's just extraordinary. Uh, and I was happened to be sitting beside, because it was at the dinner, with one of the directors of the Tate, and Tracy Emmons' bed, which is very sad because it's describing her, her breakup and everything, and it's incredibly sad. And yes, it is moving, actually, and I can see the point of it. But my bed in an art gallery, is that worth $3 million? Well, the director of the Tate said this to me, it's worth what people are prepared to pay. And actually, that's true. It's value. What are you prepared to pay? What value do you place on your family? What value do you place on the, your treasured possessions? What value do we place on Christ? And what this is saying here is that we placed zero value on Jesus Christ. We did not esteem Him. We did not honor Him. We did not value Him. We look and we find no beauty. What does that reveal? It reveals the bankruptcy of human emotions. It reveals the hardness of your heart. You look at Jesus and you see no beauty. You despise and reject. That reveals the misguided human will. You account him as nothing reveals the sinfulness of our human minds. Our nature is inadequate. We need revelation. We need the Spirit. We need to be born from above. We need the arm of the Lord to be revealed so that we can see the glory of the Lord. The disciples despised him and esteemed him not. We thought he was going to be the one who would deliver Israel, but now he's dead and gone. And then beginning with Moses and the prophets, he opened up all the scriptures so that they could see him in the scriptures. You see, you could be here this morning and in your heart of hearts, you do not value Christ. You do not esteem Christ. You do not worship Christ. You may like coming to church. You may be curious about different things, but you do not value Christ. But like the disciples, you can change and you can be changed. You need to think about what you think of Christ. Who has believed our report? 
Calvin says this, we must not judge of the glory of Christ by human view, human view, but must discern by faith what is taught us concerning Him by the Holy Scriptures. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He's not beautiful to so many people. And if you are not a believer, I am just simply asking you this, I am challenging you to ask the Lord to open the eyes of your heart so that you would see the beauty of Jesus and your need of Him. And if you are a believer, there's a challenge for you and me in this. What upsets you? You go outside, there's a scratch in your car. You are so wound up about that because you value your car. You go home and something's broken in your house. And you're upset about that because you value that. Maybe your work tomorrow, you value your job. There may be many, many things. Your bank account, you value all of that. And yet, although in your mind or although in your, in your speech you acknowledge Christ and you say you are a Christian... Yet, it seems as though you place no value on him because he doesn't move you. He doesn't, it, it doesn't affect you that people despise his word. You know what happens? It's the same thing. It happens to me. It happens to every single one of us. The whole world is centered around me. Me, me, me. Even Jesus, even His Word. Me, me, me. And we need to get beyond that. We need to be able to look and see the beauty of Jesus Christ. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I'll go home. And I'll sit and I'll say, Lord, Please, please let somebody see. Let somebody believe. For once, I disagree with Calvin. I read his commentary on this, and he said, there is but one in a hundred who listen to this message who believe it. I, I hope that's not true. I, I, maybe he was particularly discouraged that day when he wrote that. I hope there's more than one in a hundred believe. I hope you all believe and realize that there is no hope out with Jesus Christ. What do you think of him? He was despised and we esteemed him not. There's indifference, I don't care. But when you hear about Jesus, you will either say, not for me. Or you will pretend, you will say, yes, for me, but other things matter more to you. Other things upset you more. You know, I've I find it extraordinary sometimes, and this is just a personal thing, that you can be teaching and preaching about Jesus, and you go out of church, and someone comes, and they're really upset. And what are they upset about? It's usually something that, compared with the beauty and glory of Christ, is infinitely minuscule in comparison. And you know, of course we get it. We're, we're human. There's lots of things we're going to get upset about or lots of things we're going to get happy about or excited about. But we just need to get a bigger picture and we need to see who Christ is and what He has done 
and that in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and all the beauty, everything stems from Him. Sometimes we're told someone wants to be rude, they're not very happy at the way we're behaving, or they think we're being overworked up about something relatively trivial, they'll say something like, get a life. Well, if you're from New York, they might say that. It's, I'm not saying to you, you know, come on, just sort yourself out, get a life. I'm saying to this, get Christ, know Christ, see Christ, believe in Jesus Christ. Don't despise him, esteem him, because there is a beauty and a majesty in him that is far beyond his outward appearance when he was here on earth or on the cross. There's a beauty and a majesty in him that if you even saw a glimpse of it would cause you to fall down in absolute wonder. I'll leave you just with this one illustration. The island of Skye last week, I kind of wish I was on it because it had like Mediterranean weather and Scottish scenery. You do not get better than that. And, but when you go to Skye from here and you go up the A9, you turn off at, uh, after Dromochter at Dalwini and you go that road. If you go that road, what's amazing about that road is the scenery on that road. You have to be really careful because there are drivers who've never been that way before and they are so stunned by what they see, they stop. Even the ones that are in a hurry sometimes, they stop. Now, there's laybys and everything, but none of them, some of them will still stop in the middle of the road. And so, yeah, you do have to be careful when you're driving it because it is, it is breathtaking. I think of one particular bend that you go around and you just, you, you, just, you just, what? This is real? This is not photoshopped? You know, no, this is creation. This is real. And I think... That's what we need in terms of seeing Jesus. We're going along fine in our lives, and then we get a glimpse of the beauty of Christ, and we just stop. We just, we're wide-eyed, we're open-mouthed. We just, really? He's really that beautiful? Well, he is, and I pray that you and I would know him. Let's just take a moment to reflect on that in silence, and then I'll pray, and then we'll sing to finish. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.